So in the 2004 Olympic Games, Matt Emmons was on his way to a gold medal in sharpshooting, the 50-meter uh, sharpshooting event. And coming into his final shot, he was so far ahead of the rest of the field that all he had to do was hit the inner circle of the target anywhere, and he would seal his gold medal. And so Matt approached his shot as he always did. He prepared himself. He, he paused and held his breath and took aim. And boom, he shot. And once again, he had hit the bullseye square on. But he was soon healthy church. And the reason that I shared that story about Matt is because the church can make the same mistake that he did. See, the church can be doing a lot of things right. We can be preaching the word. We can be having uh, biblical leadership. We can be practicing the ordinance, exercising the gifts of the Spirit. We can do all of these things that we've talked about thus far in the series of a Marks of a Healthy Church, but we can still come up short if we fail to aim at the right target and have the right mission. You see, the church exists for a reason. The church is not just a collection of individuals who get, to get together and do whatever they want. God has redeemed us from our sin, bought us by the blood of His Son for a reason, for a specific reason, goal, and mission. And then we as the church are to make it our every effort to then strive towards that mission that God has given us. Now the million dollar question is, what is the mission then of the church? Now the broad answer to that is that the mission of the church is to glorify God. God has saved us for his glory, and now we live our lives for his glory. Ephesians 1 says it best. Paul goes through the grand plan of redemption that God has, before the foundation of the earth, planned the redemption of his people through his son, Jesus Christ. And then Paul says in that passage, the reason that God has done all of this is to the praise of his glorious grace. See, that is the primary reason that God has saved you, to the praise of his glorious grace, that all those who are redeemed and washed by the blood of Christ would see his gracious and great and merciful hand, and then in turn live their lives praising and glorifying their Savior. And so to answer the question then, generally, what is the mission of the church? Well, the only correct answer is that our mission is to glorify God. But what we're going to look at over the next two sermons is how do we do that? You know, how do we as a church bring glory to God? What, what attitudes, what actions, and what activities are we called to do as a church? What, what is this target that we are to be aiming at as a church? Well, you can open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, and we shall read our mission.
starting in verse 16, Matthew chapter 28. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, or go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, the seventh mark of a healthy church is that the church evangelizes the lost. See, one of the primary ways in which the church fulfills its mission to glorify God is when the church takes up the command to preach and proclaim the good news of salvation to all who have not believed it. And so this morning then, we are going to be looking at three points pertaining to this mission that God has given us. First, we're going to look at the command to evangelize the lost. Second, we're going to look at the motivation for evangelizing the lost. And then third, we're going to look at the practice of evangelizing the lost. And we aren't going to just be staying in one passage this morning, but jumping around quite a bit. So hopefully you've got your, your Bibles ready to go. And so first, the command to evangelize the lost. And we see this from the passage that we just read. This passage here, Matthew 28, is what is known as the Great Commission. And we call it the Great Commission because Jesus here is, is commissioning or sending or giving a final charge to his church. You see, some pretty extraordinary events have, have happened leading up to this moment that we have here on the mountain. Jesus, this carpenter's son, has appeared really out of nowhere, and he's come and he's, he's taught on the kingdom of God with an authority that look at the lost. Now, when you sit down for lunch with your lost co-workers, do you have any sorrow for their condition? When you, when you see your neighbor day in and day out, do you have any, any longing in your heart for their conversion? You know, the family member that you, know, you can butt heads with at reunions or, or scoff at everything that they post on Facebook because it's completely wrong, do you have any desire for their salvation? And if you're struggling with evangelism, ask God to foster in you a deep love for the lost. You know, pray for the type of love that Paul shows us when he's writing about the, the Jews in Romans chapter 9 when he says that he has great sorrow and unceasing anguish for the salvation of his lost uh, brethren. You know, make that your prayer. Ask God to, to burden you for a love like this for the lost. Because when he does that in you, you will, you will not be able to help but share with them the good news. Now, you will look upon people and see their helpless and sinless state 
and that they're walking down this path of destruction. See that you are the only one, the Christian, who has the only message, the only gospel that can save them from that path of destruction that leads to hell. And the love that you, you have for them, it won't allow you to keep silent when you see that happening. So pray that the Lord would give in you a love for people, a love for the lost. And now the fourth and final motivation for evangelism is that this evangelism is the purpose of our redemption. It's the purpose of our redemption. Turn to 1 Peter 2, verse 9. So in this passage, Peter says this about the people of God. He takes all of the uh, descriptions of the people of God uh, in the Old Covenant, Israel, and he takes them and he plops them now upon the church. And this is what he says. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And now here's the key that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, God has redeemed us. God has made us a nation of priests. God has made us his own possession. God has built us into his holy temple. God has sent his only son to bear the wrath of God in the place of sinners. God has turned the enemies of God into the children of God. Now, why did God do all of that? Well, that just as the passage read uh, says, that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. God saved you so that you might declare to everyone the wonderful things that he has done to and for you. You have been saved so that you might be a beacon for the glory of his name. Now many of us think and, and, and desire that we want to be a people who live with a purpose in this life. Well, here is your purpose. Look no further. Don't waste your life on vain and earthly pursuits. You know, don't live this life so you can get as much pleasure and comfort out of it that you can. Live it for the glory of God by sharing the message of his grace and salvation with all. Now you, you'll probably have, have more friends and enemies in this life if you keep your faith private and never tell anyone about it. You'll probably have less awkward interactions if you don't bring up the gospel with your co-worker. You'll probably have more credibility among the elite in our society if you keep your faith closed behind your front door. But you know what you won't have? You won't have a life that is, has fulfilled its purpose. You won't have the joy of being an obedient child of God. You won't have the pleasure of hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. What are you going to live for? Are you going to live for a big house? Are you going to live for a big job? Are you going to live for comfort for yourself and for your children? Or are you going to live for the glory of God? Because one path leads to 
destruction, one path leads to well done, good and faithful servant. Live your life for something that matters and something that is going to outlast you, something that is going to have an eternal impact that goes beyond this short span of life that we have now on this earth. Proclaim his excellencies with all that you have. And so hopefully you have been motivated this morning by the word of God that evangelism cannot be neglected. Our love for God, our love for his glory, our love for people, and our desire to fulfill the purpose and mission that he has given us. I pray that that motivates you to to leave here as a changed person, not able to, to keep this good news of the gospel just to yourself. And so now moving on to the third part of our sermon. We've looked at our command given to us by Jesus to evangelize. We've looked at the motivations that Scripture gives us. And now, what does that look like in practice? You know, what is the the practice of evangelism? Many of us, you know, we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to, to approach these conversations in our life. You know, when I'm saying evangelism, maybe what you're thinking is like, he wants me to go and stand in the street corner and, and just on a microphone talk about Jesus. And though that is a form of evangelism, that's not the only form. That's not what I'm telling. I'm not saying everybody here has to stand up on a soapbox and preach the gospel. And so if you're kind of overwhelmed with anxiety, like, I just, I can't do that. Don't be. You know, we're, there's, there's various ways to be making disciples that the Lord Jesus instructs for us. In fact, for this last section, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at some of the different methods of evangelism that we see modeled for us in the book of Acts. And there's, there's various ways to proclaim this, this, his, the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness. And so let me just quickly flip through a couple passages in Acts to, to show you uh, what examples we have. So the first is Acts chapter 5, verse 42. And here we see this. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ, that the Christ is Jesus. And then again in Acts 8, verse 26 to 35. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. And so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb, before its shearers is silent. And so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth 
and beginning with Scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And then Acts 17, verse 17. We have Paul, and it says this. And so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be here. And so I went through some of those passages is to show you that the early church sets an example for us that there are many ways to evangelize. You know, they're going from house to house, telling people that the Christ is Jesus. They are going and sitting down and having these one-on-one conversations with individuals like Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And then they're going out and preaching in the synagogues and preaching in the marketplace, the public square, for all to hear. And so depending on the context and situation you're in, it's going to demand certain modes of evangelism. Now chances are that most of us here are going to have our evangelism opportunities in similar ways like Philip and the eunuch. It's probably not going to be as easy where he's like, hey, I'm reading this very clear passage about Jesus. Can you tell me who this is about? Uh, But we are going to have these conversations where people ask us questions or where we ask questions to probe them. And we have these intimate conversations where we tell the people about the Lord. You know, when you go to the library and you sit down with another mother as your children are reading, or you go to the coffee shop and you have a couple minutes to chat with the person beside you or the the barista, or when you go to the grocery store and the person is checking out, or you're standing beside someone in the aisle, or when your your neighbor invites you over for a a barbecue, or when you go to a family reunion and you're sitting there both eating your Thanksgiving meal. You know, it's those moments and opportunities we are called to direct our conversations toward the gospel. And I think as Christians, we should also try and make it an effort in our lives to seek out those opportunities. You know, Jesus says, go, therefore, and make disciples. He doesn't say, wait for them to come to you. And so invite your non-Christian friends or neighbors over for dinner with the intention of having conversations about the gospel. And if you don't have any non-Christian friends, well, then you need to find some. You know, try and find a way to, to make some. I recently joined this Ottawa Valley board game group on Facebook, not because I don't have people that I can play board games with, but so I could specifically meet some non-Christians who I could sit down with and have these conversations with. I could form a relationship where I can speak the truth of the gospel into their lives. And so then my challenge for you then is this. Try and be intentional in all of your non-Christian relationships. You know, before you go to meet up with them, pray that the Lord opens up opportunities to share with them. When you are meeting with them, seek out opportunities to talk about these things. You know, more people are, are willing to talk about spiritual things than you might think. I used to be involved in a group called Power to Change, and we would just go around, someone would be sitting, and we'd go and say, hey, we're going around talking to people about spiritual things. Do you have a few moments to chat? And I've been turned away maybe once or twice, and usually because um, people were about to leave or they were busy doing homework. People are, people are more willing to talk about these things than you think, and that makes sense because we are created as spiritual beings. We're created to worship <coughs> and people are willing to chat. <clears throat> and so ask them questions then like, so what do you think about Jesus? Have you ever heard about Jesus? 
What do you think will happen when you die? That's a wonderful one. Everybody thinks about that. What, uh, do you think that you were created? Do you think that, that you can know your creator if you were created? You know, little questions like that can really get conversations going in a good direction for sharing the gospel. And I know what you might be thinking. That sounds extremely intimidating. You know, but, but that's where the, the motivations that we talked about come into play. If you're seeking and praying to love God and love your neighbor, you will love the person enough that you would rather bear the awkwardness of them thinking, you know, maybe you're a little bit weird or, or being stumped by a question than living with the knowledge that you had the chance to share with them the life-giving message of the gospel, but you didn't because you were afraid that they would be, be awkward because of it. I tell you, it's going to be a lot more awkward when they're standing uh, and, 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 and not able to enter into the kingdom of heaven because no one shared with them the gospel and you knew it the whole time. And so ask the Holy Spirit to give you the courage. Ask the Holy Spirit to, to give you the right words to say. Ask the Holy Spirit to work on the heart of the person you're reaching so that when the seed does come, it will be that fertile land that we read about in Scripture where the seed uh, implants into the ground and grows into something beautiful. So you don't, you don't have to be an expert to evangelize. All you have to do is be a Christian who knows the gospel, who knows that we are all sinners, that we are all guilty before God because of our sin, but that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so let me then leave you with the words of Paul uh, as a source of an encouragement for us to go out and take up this call. We all know Paul. We all know that Paul was a man of brilliance. Paul was a man who knew the Word of God. He was wise, not only in biblical standards, but in the standards of the world. And he had a wonderful ministry to the Lord. But listen to what he says about the message that he preached. And this is to give you encouragement that you don't need to know all of the answers. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers... I did not come to you, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. See, Paul's message was that simple Christ has been crucified. Come and believe in Him for the forgiveness of sins. See, Evergreen, we don't need to be a church full of scholars and preachers to make a difference, to fulfill the mission of God for us. We simply need to be a people who love God, love people, and preach the simple message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So I'm calling you to set aside every excuse that has come into your mind for not evangelizing the lost and take up this mission of Christ to make disciples of all nations to the eternal glory of God. Let's pray.